like us now, as we seek the Lord's enabling, to turn to the words we read our second reading in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and chapter 2. First Corinthians and chapter 2. And I would like us to consider the words as we have the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 to 5, but not confining ourselves necessarily these words alone, which they are a benchmark for us, for what I would like to do with the Lord's enabling this evening. Let me read again from the beginning of that chapter, and I'm reading from the authorised person. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or with wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We don't read very far into this epistle before we come to realise that the Apostle is addressing a situation brought out through the witness of this church, a church that he speaks of, as, of course, as belonging to the Lord Jesus, and anything that we might say about the Corinthian church must have that always in mind, because Paul addresses these people, he speaks of them unto the church of God, chapter 1, verse 2, which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace, and so on. <clears throat> Paul is addressing a church that, yes, he loves. It's a church that he knows has difficulties and problems. And these churches are no difference to our own they have problems and difficulties and they are all of the same making man's interference and man's activity within the church. Because man is, well, a hopeless case in some respects, and yet one has to care, be careful how you use that expression because though we might be in one sense a hopeless case because we recognise our own failings, yet at the same time we are saved by grace. Through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. But because these things, which are very exalted themes, are said and spoken of Christ's people, and no one dare take that away from his people, that still leaves us at one level kind of exposed to the reality that, yes, we are not what we could be as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> And each of the churches to which the Apostle Paul had been writing, there were many issues that were coming up. And one of the issues, of course, was that of jealousy against the Apostle Paul himself. Well, after all, as we have been looking at it by way of introduction to the prayer meeting last week, the Apostle Paul was a man who was, a, who was hated, really, as opposed to, a, 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 and I say that in the best of sense, by those who were they were being persecuted by him. But by the same token, Paul finds himself now with a situation where those who were of the Christian faith have got problems and difficulties. And 
it all again is it boils down to man's well yes and humanity to man but much more so I think is man putting himself on a pedestal and thinking of himself above what he ought to think but in chapter 1 Paul draws attention to a problem of division within the church and that is division again is all man centred because some people he says follows Paul some Apollos, some Cephas and so on some even follow Christ so what Paul is seeking to do within this letter and in the second method as well, is to encourage the Christian church to be at one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And by even setting out to do that in this letter here, he is putting himself in a very awkward position in some respects. Because he knows fine that there are going to be people there who are going to object to him and to his ministry. They know that there are many people who will find fault with his ministry, and that is very true. And that's not the most difficult thing to do, to find fault in the ministry of anyone. Any one of us as preachers of the gospel, it can be very easy to do that. But Paul wants to take the focus back onto the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and centre the attention and the affections of the people upon Christ alone. It is Christ, after all, that is the great king and head of the church. And here there are four points that I want to just briefly bring out of this passage to you. And one is, the first one is that I want to consider for a moment or two the subject of the Apostle Paul's preaching. Then I want us to think of the object of the Apostle's preaching. Well, if Christ is the subject of his preaching, then the object of the Apostle Paul's preaching must be the Corinthians, you and me, according to the Spirit, that it works in within each and every one of us in any generation. The object of the preaching of the gospel is the believer and, yes, the unbeliever. To bring to the attention of the unbeliever the <coughs> message of hope and salvation through the word and testimony. And to bring to Christ's own people an assured message that in Christ is all our hope and all our confidence. And the other thing is the manner of the Apostle Paul's preaching. I want us to think of that too, because, you know, if you ever ask a preacher, how does he cope preaching every Lord's Day? How do we cope? Sometimes it's not very easy. And Paul here wants to show his hand, pardon the expression, but he wants to show his hand and tell the people, look, he says, I come to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And you might turn around and say, oh, well, there's no much sign in that in you. But that is not the case. Because when you are taking the word of God and seeking to expound it, you know finally you're answerable to God for what you say and what you do. And it's so easy for preachers of the gospel to come out with a statement that is totally out of tune with the word of God. Not deliberately, but accidentally it can happen. Maybe that's what Paul was afraid of at times. Coming towards these people, these Corinthians, after all, they were full of what they thought with great wisdom. They were philosophers, they were all of these things. But Paul, you find, he had something to do. And then the fourth thing that I want to consider is this thing is to the purpose of his preaching. 
There is a purpose in Paul's preaching. There is a purpose always in the preaching of the Word of God, no matter who is given the challenge to do it, no matter who is called to do it, there is a purpose. It is not to bring any aggrandizement to the individual that might be called to preach, but it is all got to do with the message that he is proclaiming, and for whom he is proclaiming it. Let me go back for a moment or two to what I want to suggest is the Apostle Paul's turn of phrase with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians need to have re, re, be refocused with regard to their expression of their faith. And this the Apostle brings out. I brethren, he says, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and, his, and him crucified. That's his determination. To know nothing amongst the people but Jesus Christ and him crucified. What was revealed to the Apostle Paul in connection with the redemption of mankind is what Paul wants to do. And it can be so easy and it can be so difficult sometimes when the church loses its, its focus. And that might be as a result sometimes of difficulties and trials through which the church might go. But we're not called upon, as it were, to dwell on these things. We have to refocus our attention, learn from what we have, from what we have heard or seen or done or experienced, but to carry on in the faith looking unto Jesus. And what the Word of God is saying that there is only one object to the apostolic preaching, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think of that, how important that is in the present circumstances for the Church of Christ. I don't want to know anything he said. I don't want vain traditions of men. I don't want endless genealogies as he sees elsewhere. I don't want to hear of things that make no use to the spiritual well-being of the church. What I want to hear, he says, I want to hear all about the message of hope, the message of redemption, the message of salvation. And that is something we must never lose sight of. <coughs> Even I challenge myself so often with this one, it's so easy to get sidetracked. Even when you're preaching, maybe even to stories and illustrations that can often be of little effect in relation to the subject matter that you want to get over to the people. What Paul wanted to do was say, Christ and him crucified. Let's focus on this Jesus. Well, if you were to meet Paul, supposing you were to meet Paul and say to him, ask him the question, okay, Paul, what about this Jesus? But then I ask you, okay, well, consider maybe what Paul is thinking, but ask yourself the self same question. What do you think about Jesus? What is your take on the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the significance of this person that has come into your life that, yes, in many respects, has turned your world upside down and has made a difference to you? What do you think of Christ? And sometimes we will probably find ourselves stuck for words. What do I think of Jesus? Well, one thing I know. Once I was blind, as the hymn writer said, 
Now I see. Why? Because Jesus came into my life. He made a difference. He turned my thinking. He turned my world upside down. That world that I was focused upon. The world that is around us. The things of this world. The things of the heart and of the flesh that were untamed. These were the things that I desired more than anything else. But ask Paul, what is it now for you, Paul? Christ is my all and in all. Whom to know is life eternal. There is none like unto Jesus, no, not one. What would be your testimony to anyone that stopped you in the street? Would you stutter? Would you find yourself at a loss for words? Or would it be right there in your heart, bursting to get out, desperate to tell people not to, as it were, project yourself? Paul is very much at pains at that. You need to try and prevent people from projecting the self. In anything that we are doing by way of the cause and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is to focus our attention on him. So what Paul is saying here, or suggesting to us, that I am determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified, nothing is going to distract him from that great purpose. But alongside that we have the object of the Apostle Paul's preaching. Now of course we've already stated that. The object was the Corinthian church. But the object is it's not just the Corinthian church, but this, the, the object is the church of Christ throughout every single generation. The same message could be proclaimed to the Ephesian church, to the Galatian church, to the third churches at Thessalonica. <coughs> all of these churches had their own problems and difficulties. But they were all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they all had experienced the tokens of Christ's love and favour upon them. But let me take you somewhere else, because I don't think I'm doing despite to what has been said here when I turn you to a passage like Ephesians. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul draws our attention to the people. And this could be the Corinthians or the Ephesians or you and I. It makes no difference. Listen to what he says. And you, he says, will be quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in time past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul had of the Ephesians. <coughs> At least that's the truth. That's as it was. Before he came to faith in the Lord Jesus, and what better person, maybe that's not the right expression to use, but Thinking of anyone at all who could come to a position like the Apostle is here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, where he draws our attention to what we once were. And then he bursts open with the reality of what we are now. Now these Corinthians or Ephesians, it doesn't matter, but if we take it for the Corinthians, it's exactly the same for them. They were in time past. Yes, in time past. I love that phrase. 
I love the word even pass. It came to pass. That life, the old life, is gone. It was gone for the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus. And what is it? It is a new life in Christ Jesus. Whatever we had a conversation, whoever we had a conversation with in this world, whatever the nature of that conversation, whatever it might have been, everything is now changed. So when Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, everything has changed. He can now direct his attention of the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ straight to their heart and say, look, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, yes. But he says in Ephesians, but God, he said, who is rich in mercy for his great love for with he has loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us and get together with Christ. <coughs> By grace are you saved. But the Apostle Paul is addressing the subject of his preaching is those who have been redeemed. But not just those. Not just those who have been redeemed, but to those who are still continuing <coughs> walking in the way of God. Because after all, that's exactly what's happening here. The Christians at Corinth, yes, they were on the road. Yes, they could be in the same road as the road, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But they are on the road and they are walking. But they are walking towards glory. Is that not the truth for each and every one of us? We are not stagnant beings. We are not stagnant statutes of some spiritual realm. We belong to the body of Christ and we are moving forward. And however so slowly it might be, as we are moving forward, we are learning more and more of the things of Christ. Is that not true? That's what Paul is implying. Why he writes to these people in this way. But I determine not to know anything. Whatever arguments they want to might bring to him. Whatever distractions. And one of the things that we are so easy bound up in doing, we? we want to distract away from the things that really matter. If somebody challenges us, maybe by, with regard to our own behaviour as spiritual beings, that maybe we're not what we should be, we really don't like to be challenged. But the Word of God is doing it to us all the time. It is challenging us. And I don't find it is, even if we want to try and, as it were, hide away from it. Well, the object of the Apostle Paul's preaching is the Church of Christ in the first instance. Everyone that has come to faith in the Lord Jesus and who is on exactly the same road as he himself is on. And let's face it, the Apostle Paul is not just preaching out of a vacuum. He knows experimentally in his own heart and soul. He's been through it and he's still going through it. He understands the activities of the evil one. They are but for the grace of God. Why? Without Christ... Yes, on one occasion, busy at the master's service, but found himself with some kind of thorn in the flesh, for which there is much theological division and debate about. Never mind the debate, the important thing is, as Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Something that, the consequence of that, 
and the consequence for each and every one of us of the word of God coming to us is that it does make a difference each day we might not think that and that is the purpose of it I'll come back to that in a moment or two the manner of Paul's preaching is of singular importance I say this while your ministers are away in holiday enjoying themselves in the sun eh, but you know when I think of it I think of all preachers I'm retired now at least I'm supposed to be but when I think about it it's not an easy thing to sustain a ministry I did it for 30 years and it can be quite difficult and quite heavy and I can understand what Paul said when he says I was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling that was the manner of his preaching he wasn't standing up there as it were in solid ground oh yes his teaching was but he felt as weak as a baby trying to walk falling about all over the place and I'm sure that's the case with all of us as preachers there are very few times that a preacher and it's better not to walk <coughs> gaily into the pulpit and think oh I have it here in my hand and everything is going to be fine today the moment the preacher opens his mouth I often get it said it to myself the first word that comes out of your mouth when you start preaching is the one that's going to set the stage for the whole of the service what you say and how you say it right at the very beginning and that is true do you know where we learn that from? Christ himself oh Paul could give us some le lectures I'm quite sure on administering the word of God presenting the word of God and teaching the word of God but none more so than the Lord Jesus himself he is really our schoolmaster in more ways than one and he is the one that will really teach us of all of those things that are to our spiritual and eternal well-being what I'm saying here is that look the Corinthian church had to learn and understand that Paul came to them not as some person with some rod of iron in his hand to whip the people or to lash at the people his concern was, was to present the gospel to them and whatever they had against him well they had various things some people said that he was a poor preacher maybe he was but his message wasn't poor and that's the important thing a preacher might not have the best of deliveries and that may be true but what is more important than anything else is the substance of it it is what they are saying well Paul came to these people in fear and in trembling yes fear and in great trembling weakness no minister of the gospel dare suggest to his congregation or to his audience that he has all the answers and that he will give it all eloquently or academically or theologically he won't but it's good to know that we have a hand in the word of eternal life and a hand to present to the people those things <coughs> but I want to spend the last few moments just thinking of the purpose you and I come to the house of God and it's one of the great things of being retired you can sit in the congregation and listen to the preacher listen to the word of God being proclaimed 
and not have to be standing up there in fear and in much trembling. For the Apostle Paul, there was one thing, that the preaching of the Word of God had an end. It had an end. Of course, the first of all things was that Christ would be honoured and glorified. Is that not true? We speak, he says, the wisdom of God and the mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor yet heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed these things. Those people to whom the Apostle Paul is speaking, he is saying to them, this is my purpose. I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not diverting the attention away from himself. Far from it. If he is going to be any good at all, he is going to find that all the things that he is going to say, he's gone through the bill himself in the preparation of that word. The purpose of the Apostle Paul's preaching is to do this one thing. That those people would stand firmly <coughs> the faith of God. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. For this one great purpose, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see that Paul is honing in here in the big problem that the Corinthian church had. They were living in dependence upon men. What man would say? What was the wisdom of man? What was the great philosophical argument of the day? What was the thing that would get people's uh, minds going uh, at a hundred miles an hour? Paul says, no, send you back. What we're concerned about more than anything else, that we grow in grace, that we would be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain. So Paul is not in any way wanting the Corinthians to listen to his presentation. He doesn't want them to think of how he's going about this argument, whether it be point one, B, or C, or D, or point two, and so on. And more especially, what is the content of it? What is being said? And it's not to entice. It is to draw the attention of each and every one of us, including himself, to the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not true? That your, grace, your, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, to declare unto you the testimony of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, at the end of this epistle, says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be an anathema. In other words, let not your minds be so fixed on the things that do not matter, but on the things that matter most. The purpose, then, of Paul's preaching is that faith of each and every one of us would increase in this sense that whatever you come across in life's journey you will be able to fulfill for Christ with respect of you. Let this mind be in you 
as he says to the church at Philippi, that this might be you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant, being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The purpose of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as far as the Apostle Paul is concerned, is to stretch forth the hand of Christ in a spiritual sense. Stretch it forth to the people so that what they would do, what they would want to do, was lay hold upon him. To lay hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the altogether lovely one, and the Prince of Peace. One thing we have left, and it is, it was intended, I just left it towards the very end, and that is this. He was there in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Not with enticing words of man's wisdom. No, that was not his way. He didn't want to do that. But what he wanted to show was that everything that came from his lips was a consequence of the life that he now lived in the flesh. He lived by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And that can only come as a consequence of the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. That's what he is suggesting to us. He says, my speech was not, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now there is no doubt, of course, that the apostolic power and what was given to the apostles to do in the early church was different to you and I. But the Spirit is still the same. The indwelling Spirit is still the same. That's what Christ gave to each and to every one of us. The day that we came to faith, the day that we entrusted everything to the Lord Jesus, was the day that we received the power of the Spirit of God from on high. For what purpose? To languish? In a body that wasn't in any way growing in any spiritual sense. No, the purpose was that you and I might glorify God and enjoy him forever. That can only come through this power of the Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples, and again, this is before he went to the cross, in John chapter 14. He said to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions of a not so I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. <coughs> Was that the last word? No. He promised the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the One who would lead us and guide us into all truth, the One who would lead us and guide us in the way that we should walk, our conversation, our style, our whole being, was now being mapped out, not by selfish interests, but by the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ and the mind of Christ being in each and every one of us. I can understand a little bit of the Apostle Paul, his fear and his trembling. Sometimes I wish I had a little bit more 
of the indwelling of the power of the Spirit that the Apostle had. There is no doubt that the Lord, as we said on Wednesday evening, he had a plan and purpose for us, this Saul of Tarsus, this Paul, the great Apostle. He had a plan and purpose. And that plan and purpose would include great suffering. But what also it would include is that Paul would be used by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a witness and to be a bearer of the testimony of Christ. What is Paul saying to us then? And he's saying, I don't want to know anything above the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my all and in all. He is ever the most important thing that ever happened to me. And he wants to show it. He doesn't want to project himself, but he wants to show the Christ living in him. Shall we pray? O Lord, our gracious God, we thank thee that thy word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. That word is a testimony to our hearts and our souls and to our consciences. And we know that a day by day that we come short of that word. Lord, we thank thee for its lodging place in our hearts. But we pray that its influence would be felt even greater. And that those things, however legitimate they might be in the world itself, in the world in which we live. Oh Lord, we pray that there would not be such a distraction that we lose sense of the person and the power and the privileges that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, as we go from here, we pray that thou would bring our thoughts around the Lord Jesus and cast, help us to cast our every care upon him, for he cares for us. Take away all offence, loving us freely in Christ. Amen. I'm going to conclude by singing a Psalm 130 in the same Psalms version, page 173. Psalm 130, O Lord, from the depths I call to you, Lord, hear me from on high, and give attention to my voice when I call, for, when I for mercy cry. Lord, in your presence who can stand if you our sins record, that yet forgiveness is with you that we may fear you, Lord. I wait, my soul waits for the Lord. My hope is in his word. More than the watchman waits for dawn, my soul waits for the Lord. O Israel, put your hope in God, for mercy is with him, and full redemption from their sins his people he'll redeem. Psalm 1 for you, you sing Psalms person, Lord from the depths. Lord from
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the Father, the fellowship and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, rest upon and remain with you and with all the Israel of God, both now and always.